Welcome back to The Brandon White Show, where we have conversations worth listening to give you an edge to win in your business and your life. I'm your host, Brandon White. Here we go. Welcome to The Edge Podcast, your weekly playbook about the inner game of building a successful business, making you a happier, healthier, and richer business owner. And here's your host, Brandon White. Hi, Melissa. Hi. Welcome to the show. Thank you. How are you ladies doing today? Good. Well, well that, was, that, that was a big sigh. What does that mean? That's like, well... Hope this podcast will go well. So that's the feeling. <laughs> uh, why wouldn't it go well? You know, that's kind of just the feeling that you get when you get recorded. So that's, I guess that's it. But I think, um, yeah. All right. Well, you can relax. You can grab your coffee, do whatever you need. But uh, there's no, this is a completely casual podcast here. In fact, we're recording right now. So no pressure. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I appreciate it. This is actually the first. Oh, the first time in a long time we've had two guests on at once. So this should be, well, it'll be a fun experience. We'll see how that, well, that's how we'll see how it goes. But thanks for joining us today, ladies. You're both from Snyder, which is an accounting software program that at first when I heard about it, I was interested mainly because you're going after the big players in the space and the big players are or the big player, I think, is mainly QuickBooks, which I've used for two decades to try to manage an e-commerce business and a SaaS business with, well, let's say we had success, but I don't think our back office has been ever happy with any of the solutions. Could you talk about, Polly, a little bit about Snyder, why it was founded? Uh, yeah, and like the first, and I guess this will go off recording, but it's Cinder. And I know, I mean, we're usually like trying to kind of spell it and send it over to the host because we know people confuse it with Snyder very often. So yeah, that's Cinder. Yeah. Cinder. Okay. Well, there you go. I got that completely wrong, but I'm glad you corrected it. And maybe, and look, I'm dyslexic. So we'll just blame it on that for now, but go ahead. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about Cinder and founding Cinder and why it was founded to solve some problems. Yeah, like first of all, just to be clear, like neither me or Melissa were not founders of Cinder, but I mean, I'm with the company for like, I guess, four plus years. So almost since the time, since the beginning of Cinder. So uh, I've witnessed quite a lot of history there. So yeah, like initially that was, I mean, we were just a software company that outsourced the services to different companies outside and you know, from different spheres. And then once in a while, there was a project with like connected to QuickBooks. So we were like developing an app for someone. And then we saw this opportunity because we saw how much were, you know, like business owners struggling to kind of get all of this automated. And um, basically the story started with just the order of the software. So we've done it for one company and then we kind of started research the market, research the sphere. And we understood that that's a kind of problem for people to make sure their data go easily to QuickBooks and out of QuickBooks. So that was the beginning where we kind of started to develop it. And um, like we published this 
first marketplace app card. And that's where it got started. So, I mean, uh, we start like we were using QuickBooks ourselves as, as well. And our app was also serving ourselves. I mean, we really like felt it how like how better the, the whole process started to be once we started using the app that we've built. And we also wanted to help, you know, different other businesses that were suffering also from the need to go in and enter transaction after transaction after transaction to their QuickBooks. So it's not too much over, you know, going after QuickBooks. It's very, you know, it's a lot of doing something for QuickBooks users. So I would like that. Well, that's a politically correct statement. But at the end of the day, your product does potentially replace QuickBooks. Is that right? I mean, I, I read I read all about the product. I've been doing e-commerce and SaaS businesses for over two decades. I know exactly how hard it is to integrate these things, not to mention, it's, and I know you're worldwide, but in the United States, every state now collects a separate tax for e-commerce companies. And it's actually a requirement from a tax perspective that you do that or you'll be in violation of all these fines and all these things. And it's extremely difficult for any, any e-commerce vendor. If you have a thousand plus transactions a month, for sure that's hard. It's even hard if you have a few hundred when it comes tax time to basically sort that, much less get that in there. And I've tried everything known to man to make that an easier process. And it's never worked correctly. It winds up taking hours and hours of time. And if you're doing $39 or $39.95, whatever, smaller transactions, it even makes it worse because I think on, on a, if you break it out, you're spending more time on your human resources to input the data and reconcile it than you actually even made on the, on the transaction if you were to break it down that way. So it's, it is, it is incredibly hard. Yeah. Does the software manage all the taxes from all the states that you would need to pay and things like that? That's how it works. So like going to the like beginning of, of, of your uh, question. So that's like, we're having like several products by now. Well, four years didn't, you know, we're just, we, we weren't just sitting and, you know, like taking the, all the benefits. So we were working hard to, to see what other problems we may solve. And, uh, the feedback of yours, like we've heard it a lot from e-commerce people that, I mean, QuickBooks, well, they're definitely a wonderful solution. I mean, th- that's obvious. I mean, they won the market. So that's obvious. They're really great. And they're serving, you know, many different industries. And we were, you know, helping QuickBooks users at the very beginning just to automatically import their data from Shopify or like Stripe or PayPal or Amazon or whatever the platform is to their books. So that that was kind of the number one product of ours. So kind of we've done all of this synchronization th- like thing for, for businesses, for online businesses in general, not specifically for e-commerce. So it was like for SaaS businesses, for any, maybe like even any professional service who, for example, uses like PayPal or Stripe to charge their clients. So anyways, they have this, you know, problem of entering data. So Cinder was of help for them. And then we kind of were talking to our clients, hearing different pieces of feedback for, you know, composing all of this. And we're thinking, okay, so what can we do? And we came up with Cinder Accounting. That's kind of another product of ours, which is like exactly 
it's like an accounting system more tailored for e-commerce or people for e-commerce industry. So that's kind of how it looks at the moment. So we have quite for, for like during these years, we kind of created different pieces of software that work with QuickBooks or Zero or QuickBooks desktop. So with several accounting services. So kind of that, that, that's where we are now. So we, we're having like several apps. So Cinder accounting is definitely one of them, but yeah, everything started with just Cinder, like this synchronization tool. We had an app with QuickBooks even before that, before Cinder. So yeah, but that's a whole different story. So, so kind of that's how it was initially and that's how it is now. And as for the question about the taxes, because that's definitely a pain point for e-commerce. I mean, as well as like cogs and like inventory tracking. So that, that's all, I mean, that's all our pain points, definitely. So as for taxes, Cinder will be able to kind of grab all of the taxes from the e-commerce side because like majority of e-commerces, they do provide an option to calculate taxes based on the shipping addresses. So uh, they're kind of doing this calculation on their end. So kind of Cinder is able to uh, grab this information from them and like sort it out properly so that, uh, you know, you know, what's the tax agency, like to which state you owe this or that amount of the tax. It's kind of, this is how it works. And this is kind of automatic. So if you're like Shopify calculates taxes for you and you see that's like, the, that's the amount of the tax. So that means that Cinder will be able to account for that. Uh, well, as long as everything is integrated properly. So kind of that's, that's how it looks uh, at the moment. So can I say this back to make sure I understand? Is it if a listener is struggling with their e- accounting system, can they replace QuickBooks with using Cinder? Uh, yes, that's, they can, they can either use okay. Cinder with QuickBooks or they can replace QuickBooks. Okay, why would why would they use it with QuickBooks? Well, that's a good question, but the reason why I mean some businesses, for example, where business owner is, you know, this everything man who does bookkeeping, who, you know, thinks of how to increase my sales, how to hire people, so you know, this this kind of person. So, if the business is like a, a bit like smaller, I would say, so I guess because when business grows, different people start to, you know, being responsible for different like areas inside of the company, but like before that, that that's kind of the the case. Surely, Cinder will be able to kind of replace QuickBooks. And the great thing about Cinder is that you kind of just plug all of the e-commerce stores, all of your payment gateways into Cinder. So kind of you make sure everything you know works properly, everything is synchronized, and you're like, okay, I'm going hands off. So you just you know go in and just see your profit and loss, your balance sheet. So just grab your reports and you're good. But the reason why some companies come to Cinder and they switch from QuickBooks and some don't is, for example, that Cinder is a new piece of software and the whole market of like accounting professionals, they're getting familiar with Cinder at the moment. So kind of we're having a lot of like um, conversations with different companies and surely an accountant would say, I know QuickBooks pretty well, so I can manage your books. Why would you? Think of, you know, going to some other piece of software. Well, I will have to learn it. I'll have to see how it works. So kind of that's where the process is now. And it looks really different for different kinds of businesses. This 
episode is sponsored by the Halle Financial Team at Expert Lending. Buying a house in today's market is competitive, and you need a lender that can close fast and get you the very best rate. The team is licensed in 48 states and has over 20 years experience in the real estate and lending space and access to lending rates that most mortgage brokers can't get. I know because I'm an investor in the team. If you need a mortgage or know someone that does, call or text Kara at 571-271-9086 and talk to a real human who will give you the customer service you deserve. Again, call or text Kara at 571-271-9086. Now back to the show. Yeah, I agree. I was just thinking that when I tell my accountant, I mean, my, one of our accountants for one of our companies won't even use QuickBooks online. He wants to use QuickBooks installed and, yeah, you know, I mean, who uses that anymore? <laughs> I, and I, I mean, some people do. If you're out there and you're listening, hey, more power to you. But using it online allows a team much easier than managing something locally on your, on your network. Melissa, you're, you're the head of content there at Cinder. Yeah. What do you find yourself writing the most about as it relates to reaching out to potential users, customers, where you see most of their pain points? Yeah. So right now, I would say uh, most of our focus has definitely been on e-commerce and around the idea of educating e-commerce business owners on the importance of knowing their numbers. So sounds like such an obvious thing. And yet when like Polly was saying, you know, when you're trying to do everything, you're hiring, you're shipping, you're ordering, you're doing all these things. Sometimes like knowing those key numbers for your business kind of goes by the wayside. So we find, you know, that people don't know what their cost of goods sold actually are. They don't know the average order value or, you know, the, the average cost it takes, you know, to, to ship a product. They, they just don't know these things. They know like, okay, I buy this item for $20 and I sell it for 40. And they're like, okay, so my profit's 20, but they're not, all those other costs are not getting calculated in there. So right now our focus is really on if you know your numbers you can grow your business and so that's kind of where all the educational pieces that we're working on really kind of fall into that that category so do you think that there's this online marketing narrative that everybody can get it i mean there's a let's just be honest there's a course like you could you could go online and find five thousand courses on how to start an e-commerce business, and they'd make you think that it was as easy as making an apple pie with your grandmother's recipe. I mean, but it's not. And I, while Melissa, you talk about that, and I inherently know that it's actually shocking to hear, right? Because how could you how could you go into business and not know your numbers? Right. <laughs> I mean, you, you, you'll be losing money on a regular basis and just keep selling. Well, and I will say coming from e-commerce myself, I actually used to have an e-com store and, you know, I knew the very basics of my numbers, but I didn't really look at them beyond that. Like, you know, my profit and loss, I looked at it once a year. You know, I sent my stuff to my accountant and then I looked at it once a year when there were opportunities there, you know, that I could have looked at and, and made some adjustments and maybe grown my business instead of shutting it down, which I ended up doing about three years after I opened it. So I think, yeah, it, there are a lot of educational programs about, you know, 
get an e-com store going. I feel like it's kind of like back, what was it, like 10 years ago, the whole like, you know, make six figures while you sleep, you know, online, doing nothing was kind of the big thing. And now it's like, start an e-com store. It's super easy, but it is work and you do have to be strategic and you have to look at those numbers and make changes. And so, yeah, I think uh, it's kind of a trend, but I think the people that are going to stay with it and that are going to actually find success are those that look at their numbers, have KPIs that they're tracking and making adjustments. I'm not picking on you, but it, it, but but you you offered as an example. How did you get into it? And and I'm asking you this question for listeners out there who are listening because I find it fascinating that look, every human on Earth wants to make everything easy. Yeah, they want to make business easy. They want to make relationships easy. They want to make losing weight easy. They want to make getting in shape easy. If it was easy, everyone would do it. And the the companies, and we're talking about business today, but it's true in health relationships and everything else, is it actually takes work. You know, yes, you could have a one-year relationship generally pretty easily, but if you want to try to get to 25 years, you're going to have to work hard. If you want to build an economy... And the other thing I'll say is that this thing like, oh, have an e-commerce business. It's, it's just a business that sells online. It's not a, it's not this magical thing that doesn't have expenses, G&A, advertising, accounting, legal. I mean, half of these companies don't even have legal. So Melissa, when you got into it and you said you only looked at the P&L once a year, was it because mainly you, well, what was it? Were you just excited to sell something or? Yeah. I mean, I think for me at the time, this was, this was many years ago, but I kind of thought of myself as more on the creative side. I was developing ideas. I, I was my own product that I was, you know, creating. And so I just thought of it from that, like, here's a good idea. I'll sell this online. And then I ended up finding some success in it, you know, but not, I didn't take it as seriously as a business as I should have, you know, and, and I think that was part of why it didn't end up working out. I mean, I, I could have, started tracking things better and, and, you know, and it was, it was like a side hustle for me. So it wasn't like something that I actually really thought of as a full-time job to be fully honest. But yeah, I mean, it was, it was fun. I definitely enjoyed it. And I, it gave me a great perspective in, you know, working with e-com business owners now, because I understand that mindset. I understand, you know, what they're trying to accomplish and, and how difficult it is. You know, like when I first came to Cinder, I was like, oh, wow. Like if only I had had Cinder back, because this was like 10 years ago when I had my e-com store and just like I had Shopify, I had Etsy, you know, I was taking payments through PayPal and all these different ways. And it's like, and that was like at the end of the year, it's such a headache for me to like pull it all together. So that's actually what attracted me to even apply at Cinder in the first place was just like, whoa, a tool that I would have loved to have had then. So yeah, I think just kind of being smart in running a business, just like anything, you know, if like back when like coaching was kind of the thing, everybody wanted to get into it because everyone made it sound super easy. Like just throw up a website, tell people, you know, whatever it is, you know, best, whether it's dating or fitness or, you know, business, or, you know, just be a coach. And there are some amazing coaches out there who have these amazing businesses, but all those people who just started it up in order to make a quick buck online, well, they're gone now, <laughs> you know? So I think that's, that's the, the key is if you really want to do it and you're serious about it and you love your business and you want to grow it, you can, but it does take work. It, nothing is easy. <laughs> yeah. I think that the, I think that 
And I, I look, man, I love Russell Brunson. The guy is one of the most incredible marketers you will ever experience online. And I come from that online world. But the two comma club, three comma club, the truth of the matter is, is that it's really not hard to get a million dollars in sales. Now, some listeners out there will say, well, Brandon, that's really cute that you would say that. Well, what I say that is if you market and spend enough money, you'll get to a million in sales, but that's not the real question. The real question is how much money are you making? Because if you have a million in sales and you lose money, then who cares? Now, if you're on a growth pattern, that's a different trajectory, but I think there's too much emphasis with revenue and not enough with profitability and something like Cinder can make that easy. A question on on the program itself because Melissa, you you talked about if I had had this and I agree with you. I mean, I, you can imagine I'm a, probably a little bit older, but I and I started young, but I started my first e-commerce company in 1996. So we we, we really didn't even have QuickBooks quite candidly. I, maybe it was around, but I think we used Excel spreadsheets. But the you know having those metrics and not having to manage inventory if you use WooCommerce or you use Shopify and then you have to update your accounting software because you have to hold inventory which needs to show up on your balance sheet which matters especially if you're going to need to get a loan to get cash flow i mean what what a lot of people don't understand i don't think is is that the other thing is is that credit card companies especially in e-commerce businesses today don't pay you right away as soon as you get to $10,000, you both you ladies can correct me, but there's some trigger. And $10,000 isn't even a lot of money in sales for a lot of companies when you start talking about doing 10, 20, 30, 40, 50. Uh, I was talking to a company that did 500 million in e-commerce the other day. I mean, you're, as soon as you hit that trigger because of returns and reserves that they require, now you're going to be short on cash. And if you don't have an accounting software that can manage that and they can see that you can manage that, especially on your balance sheet, nobody's going to loan you money. Do you see that with your customers too? Yeah, I would say we do. It's like, you know, different, different problems come in once you start growing, obviously. And uh, it's a good thing. I mean, if you're, if you know what you're doing, if you're ready to do this growth, if you know how to track numbers, if you know what numbers to track, actually. So that's like, that's one story. And that's usually a success story because you know what you're doing. I mean, and, and that's kind of the, I guess the key after all. And it's totally opposite. If, if, for example, that's your first business, you're like, I don't know. 23, 25, you're super excited, you know, about what you're doing. And you're, you know, one of this, as Melissa said, creative people, because I mean, I mean, if you, if you just compare SaaS and e-commerce owners, I mean, they're totally different people. I mean, SaaS people, they're like maybe computer nerds, maybe they just had a like super background in like uh, programming. So, you know, there are these kind of people who are, you know, reading like an articles on, you know, like, um, just like cryptocurrencies and all that stuff. So they're, they're kind of more into that. So, and like econ people, they're like, I'm a crafter. I really like doing stuff myself. I mean, it brings me joy and I want to share it. So it's like two totally different worlds. So it doesn't mean that, you know, obviously econ sphere is growing. So it doesn't mean that 
either of, of these is like bad or good. It's just like they're different. And uh, indeed, I mean, that's at the end of the day is the key. If, if you know what you're doing and uh, if you're a creative person and that's great, that's your power. I mean, use it to, to build something that's, I mean, that's, I mean, that's great, but um, also like make sure that your back office is organized, that you either start also like learning things, the business side of Size of side of things, or you're having a person who knows things. So you're this, you're responsible for this creative part, but you have someone there on the background, you know, who supports you. And like we see Cinder as, you know, someone who can at least partially support you in that and maybe not, uh, not do everything for you, but do, you know, an essential part for you and tell you, okay, that's maybe bad and that's good. So think about that. So. And, uh, yeah, like Melissa also is working right now on this educational part of, because it's very, very important because econ people are so creative and they're different. And well, it's important for, to maybe give them a tool that will help them to, you know, to stay creative because, you know, after 20 years in business, well, that's a challenge if you still can be creative after all of these years. And that's, I mean, some people do, and that's, that's marvelous. I mean, they're definitely examples but, uh, yeah, some become, you know, it, it all just eats all of this creativity, all it's all this free time to think of what I'm going to do next. So that's kind of where dilemma comes in. Well, my dilemma is that I think you just called some of us tech bros, old and not creative. <laughs> and I'm joking <laughs> for listeners. But my, but my lady who cuts my hair the other day, I think inadvertently called me a tech bro. It's like all these tech bros are at the, at the Warriors game and all they do is sit on their phone. They don't watch the game, but I'm halfway joking. I will a hundred percent agree with you that, that engineers who build South SAS programs in general, and there's business people who do partner with them are very different than an e-commerce business in the sense that e-commerce generally is not these days seems to be a brand associated. I mean, Amazon, I think, and maybe Walmart and a few others have locked up, locked up for the moment doing multiple different products. I was actually, and it's a great question transition, going to ask Melissa on the education because I don't think when I talk about ARPU, CAC, customer lifetime value, or uh, not just customer lifetime value. I actually used to do all this at America Online and Marketing Analysis, but your contribution margins, is that the type of content that you're creating, Melissa? And what do you think are the most important metrics for for e-commerce? Well, e-commerce and we can talk about SaaS owners to know that can that can come to life through software. Yeah, so that is the kind of things that we're working on right now. Our content team is hard at work on several articles to explain what each of these reports are, because a lot of times even, you know, you say, what are your cogs? And the first question from some people, it's scary, but like, what does that mean? You know, and so you have to like, we're, we're creating, you know, starting from the basics, like letting people know what are these you know, how do you calculate them? Why do you need them? Now with Cinder, with our reporting, we are going to offer these for them. So they're not going to have to sit there and run calculations and Excel spreadsheets, but it is important to know how you get to that figure. So we are working on giving them all of the information that they need and then helping them do it in an easy way. It's kind of like, you know, when you learn math in school and then you get a calculator, but they make you do it, you know, by hand first. So 
We are working on those pieces. I would say like one of the big things that we have found from speaking with our consultants and our customers is that cost of goods sold is one that people really just don't understand fully. They look at the wholesale price, their retail price, and then that's it. Like those are the two. So they're not looking at like all the factors that go into it. Obviously, tracking sales is very important, knowing, you know, how much are you making? How many orders are you getting? Tracking new customers versus returning customers. See, you know, what kind of, you know, ratio you have there. Uh, your lifetime customer value is important because then you know how much you can spend to acquire a customer if you know what they're going to bring your business overall. So, I mean, there's so many pieces. I can probably think of like 20 reports that you could use, but I mean, just starting to kind of, you know, immerse them in these numbers and explaining to them also not just like, you know, know your numbers, but the reason is because it's actually part of the story of your business. So if you're selling a product and it's doing well, like, well, you know, you could grow your business by maybe, is there something similar you could bring in or a, you know, complimentary product? Like if they can kind of get a viewer, maybe like in the case for my business, there's a product that I just absolutely love. And so I invest all this money to buy a ton of it, but I can't sell it for what I need to. So, you know, like knowing that ahead of time, if I had known how much it actually cost me to get it out the door, I wouldn't have invested so much in it. So I think that's anything you can, you can teach e-com business owners about, you know, how to keep more of the money they're bringing in, how to make more money and how to strategically plan for the future. Well, you're the head of content. I'm curious. What, what do you think your approach is going to be to try to engage creators to want to understand their numbers? Meaning what creative thing are you going to do? Because I'll tell you, when I talk numbers to people, they're, and I'm sure both of you ladies have seen this because you're in the accounting business, is you can literally watch their eyes glaze over and peer into their eye to understand that they're not even listening yeah. to you. I mean, isn't that the truth? It is, definitely. So yeah, I think, you know, and obviously we're going to have that that struggle a little bit, but I think when people can kind of understand like, hey, this is the future of your business. And so like the way we've been kind of, you know, I've been talking to people about it is it's part of like, so, you know, obviously I come from the content world. So I'm all about like brand voice and tone, you know, brand style, you know, using humor appropriately in your content. And these are all very important for e-com business owners too, you know, as they're writing product descriptions, using the right terminology, all that stuff, but it won't matter at all. You could have the most beautiful description for a product online and people might be buying it like crazy but if it's not priced right like it that is not going to keep you in business so to me it's like it's part of the story so if you love what you're doing this is sort of like one of those things you've got to like know the numbers too otherwise that creative thing that you love you know it's not going to work out in the end like like sadly my business did not so i think just coming at it from that perspective of like it is part of the story of your entire business looking at it holistically and Honestly, like I, I think, you know, for some people, they're just not going to want to spend time on their numbers. So a tool like Cinder, it gives them everything they need pretty quickly. They're not going to have to run calculations and look at Excel spreadsheets. But also for those business owners, as they learn this stuff, you know, help them educate them on who to look for to bring into their business that can handle that stuff because they know what's needed. And maybe that's not for them. Like, if I were going to build a business, I can't, you know, I would not be doing the tech side of things. I would not be coding. You know, I would bring someone else into the business, but I know a little bit about it. Like I know enough about it that I would know who to look for. So like, that's, I think another aspect is like, maybe it's not 
your expertise, that's totally fine. When you're ready, hire someone who it is, but understand what it is that they're going to be doing for you. Well, I got to tell you, it does sound like the Holy Grail. And I mean that lovingly because the way that I can describe the situation right now for us on one of our companies, we have Stripe. So Stripe does have a dashboard and it will calculate churn. It will calculate ARPU. It will calculate a lot of things that it can calculate without knowing GNA and these other things, effectively general administrative for listeners don't know that the and it's interesting data the problem is is that then we have to go over into quickbooks and to go into quickbooks is a whole different skill set it meaning for us it's a whole different although stripe sits in the same division of a company in finance it's a different person so now you have to figure out how to combine these two reports and then you have to go into your amazon store you have to go into your Shopify store. You have to go into your WooCommerce store and figure out what the hell is going on there and try to combine all these things into effectively what becomes an Excel spreadsheet. And if a listener says, well, why would you have all of those different avenues? Well, for me at least, and, and you ladies probably have heard this, Shopify doesn't SEO as well. If you're going to drive traffic to something and you're going to retarget, I think Shopify does a great job. As it relates to SEO, I just think it sucks from an SEO guy. So then you're going to put products on on a platform that you can control more of, let's just say, that the back end, the CSS and things like that. So to aggregate all of this stuff is absolutely insane to try to make happen. And if Cinder can just aggregate that all and basically make all of these dashboards better, if you will, and print a report at a push of a button, then I'm talking out loud here, like that's magical. I mean, I'll be honest, I, up in, when I was preparing for the show here, I was like, well, why wouldn't we just switch to this? The only hesitation that I would have is that we would have to make sure that our accountant was willing to do that. And I do think one of the things maybe maybe you're going to do or you are doing is recommend some accountants out there who actually know your platform because convincing an old accountant, I don't mean old, let's just say not old as an age, but an accountant who is set in their ways, they're doing so many, their businesses, they see so many business owners to learn a one-off is really difficult. And that's a business challenge for Cinder, which you both of you ladies have talked about. So yeah, it sounds magical. Yeah, and we do have a database of accountants that are using Cinder with their clients. And so, and we're always happy to recommend people. We do have a, a pretty cool program for accountants who want to offer Cinder to their customers. So yeah, we we love working with accountants. We definitely, you know, for those and even for those who, you know, maybe we won't replace QuickBooks for them because they are, you know, maybe stuck in their ways um, and want to keep with, I mean, that's why we do, you know, everything does pair very nicely with QuickBooks. That is, you know, how things started here. So that is an option as well. So if somebody, you know, wants to bring their accountant in and use Cinder, but, you know, the accountant is using QuickBooks desktop and would rather do anything but switch, that's okay. We can work with that too. You have a remote team there at Cinder, is that right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Partly, yeah. 
partially? What's partially mean? I mean, because we have some people, I mean, pretty much we're working globally. So yeah, we have people here and there actually. Yeah, I thought so. I just want to make sure I read everything right and did my research. But um, I would guess that you're in a different country and that Melissa is south of me. I'm in San Francisco. But how has that been working on a remote team? I know it's not directly related, but listeners and I'm interested in how that works working remotely. And I'll tell you why, mainly because it's vindication for me, because two decades, actually a little bit over, I said that remote teams would work. And I had a lot of investors who did when I did raise money for companies that said, you got to have an office, you got to have the water cooler talk, yada, yada, yada. And amazingly, I mean, just incredibly with this pandemic, businesses have survived and made money. I don't have any idea how that happened. So how does that work for you there at Cinder? That's, I mean, for me, that was like from day one, because I mean, I'm interacting with some of our clients pretty closely. So at least I used to. So at that time, definitely, I mean, uh, I'm working from Europe, from Lithuania now. And that, I mean, that was, that was from day one, just like I went to Cinder knowing that, okay, so my schedule is not, you know, like 8 a.m. to like 5 p.m. My schedule is like 3 p.m. and onwards. So that's, that's was like the day one challenge. And the same thing goes, you know, with the team. So we have, for example, like, yeah, when we're working with Melissa and we're working pretty closely sometimes. So that's kind of, yeah. I, I know she has like a lot of meetings like at her like very like morning and I have a lot of meetings <laughs> in my very, you know, uh, late evening and kind of that's how it goes. So you kind of do all your stuff when you don't have meetings and then there are a lot of meetings. Yeah, definitely. So that's what from my perspective. I'm sure Melissa has something to share too. Yeah. So I've actually, I, I was working remote before it was cool. I've been remote for gosh, like 10 years. Cause I, before I was working with startups and, you know, on teams, like it, it, I was running my own business, helping startups get their content teams up and running and getting started with their content. So I pretty much always worked remotely. I mean, I would have some clients in my, you know, where I was living, but most of them were all over the world. So. I was used to that. But yeah, the, like Polly said, I mean, I think being remote, if you're flexible, if like your schedule. So I think both of us have meetings when it's dark outside. Hers is nine minds because the sun hasn't risen yet. So I mean, you just kind of have to like make adjustments there. But I think being very communicative on things like Slack, email, you know, staying connected that way. We have, you know, like my team, the content team is is spread out through. We have like people in, in Europe people in the US. So lots of time zones. So there's not going to be a lot of like time where we're working necessarily right at the same time. So a lot of things happening async, but by staying connected and having those meetings when we need to, I mean, to me, it's, I find that I'm much more productive when I can just like get my work done and not have the office, you know, someone stopping by your desk and being like, Hey, you know, like that to me is very disruptive, especially when I'm like in that creative space of writing and like, you know, coming up with ideas. So for me, I, I love it. I mean, I have met people that are like, oh, I can't wait to get back to the office. And I just, I do not understand that mentality. <laughs> so Yeah, but then me too. I mean, I have the same, I mean, mindset also, like just if you're flexible enough, that's just, I mean, golden thing. It's much easier to focus when you're, you know, you're alone, you're sitting, you know, in a comfortable chair. It's yours, you know, where, I mean, you don't have to travel to work, to office. I mean, it's yeah. all in your place. I mean, for, for me, it's much, much like easier, more my, my way. Yeah. Yeah. So you say that, but some people have a really difficult time 
working from home because of the distractions. I, I mean, I think it, I, it can happen. I mean, but actually going to change the laundry sometimes gives you a break. And then, like you said, Melissa, how many times does somebody stop by your desk and want to chit chat? Or how much work do you actually get done in an office versus just being alone somewhere and actually cranking it out? I think that being alone, but I do think it can take discipline because, you know, sometimes a dog wants to go out and everything. But what tools do you use? You mentioned, Melissa, you said email and Slack. Do you have other tools? Do you monitor? I don't say, do you, there's some tools where everybody can watch one another work. I tried that once and it was like terrible. I, I don't, I don't really care. Yeah, no, I don't <laughs> I mean, use anything like that. I don't really want to <laughs> see anybody. <laughs> so what do you what do you all use? Um, so that? yeah, Slack, email, Zoom for meetings. You know, when we have like big team meetings, we do turn our cameras on so everybody can see each other's faces and and chat. But we don't like watch each other work. Other than you know, that's creepy. <laughs> but I, yeah. I have seen that actually um, before. So yeah, I don't. We don't like you know have. I, I've seen companies like I, I think a lot of it comes down to trust, and we have an amazing team. So. But I've seen companies where it's like it will take screenshots of your of your desktop every like 20 minutes to like show what you're doing. And I mean, that's just so intrusive and weird. I don't understand stuff like that. I mean, sorry to the companies that make that software. But like I personally, I mean, my team, like, you know, we have deadlines. We my team hits the deadlines. We are working collaboratively. If there's ever an issue, I think one thing that's very important is being available. Like if there, you know, somebody is having an issue with a project and they need help, like being available. And like, you know, sometimes that means five in the morning for me, you know, but that's okay because I want to make sure that my team is succeeding. And so it's just, yeah, kind of being flexible, I think is the biggest thing. And then if you're somebody who can kind of just focus for me, it's a little bit easier. I live alone. I don't have pets. So like, I don't have any distraction during my day, which can sometimes be a distraction because it's like, you're just sort of by yourself. So sometimes that, you know, like when I take a break, I'll go walk around my complex and just kind of get some fresh air and recharge in that way. And then I come back and a lot of times like I'll get an idea while I'm doing that, come back and and refreshed and, and ready to get back to work as opposed to just Sitting in an office where you have no control over the temperature, which can actually be a very big distraction. It's too cold. It's too hot. It's like, I don't know. I'm a big advocate for remote. I don't think I would ever work in an office again. Like, I mean, hopefully I don't ever have to. I I don't think I would. (laughs) But it doesn't mean that, you know, each person in Cinder loves working remotely. And, you know, we kind of pick people like that. So we we also like have people who, who are like, Okay, I really want to go to office. So, I mean, we do have offices, you know, in different like continents. So that's how it actually is. Because, yeah, because I'm, like I would say the majority of people are really okay with working from their homes. But for like, I mean, obviously, if you have like three kids and, you know, a dog, definitely working from home wouldn't be the best idea, I guess, because, well, that's are these distractions that I mean, surely. I mean, you'll have to prioritize and well, seeing your child, you know, playing or maybe, you know, something happens. So definitely you'll just, you know, leave everything. You'll go there because, well, that's, that's your priority. So yeah, definitely. I mean, it depends on, on the way of life, I would say. Yeah. Melissa, you said it was creepy to watch people. There's actually a, I had a founder on here with this app to concentrate. And I, I'm, it's escaping right, reading the name right now, but it literally, and it's done because you work in 20 minute increments is sort of the, the psychology of some things. And you actually can watch people working. It's sort of 
weird. I tried it for a few weeks and there's maybe some accountability, but I tend to, I've always told people, like, I don't care how long it takes you to do the job. I mean, we want you to be, we want teams to be pushed, but, and how do, and how does anyone know? Like, maybe you work better from nine o'clock till three o'clock in the morning. And who's anybody to say, like, why would I disrupt that productivity level to make someone come into the office? I'm curious, do you have a, a time period where you do require everybody to be online so that there's some overlap or do you not even do that? Meaning like, Hey, you got to be online from one thing that we did was you got to be online from 11 to two Pacific standard time, mainly so that if someone needed someone, especially with coding and even content creation or collaboration, you don't have to wait that full day cycle because someone's on the other side of the earth. Yeah, we don't, at least my team, we don't have set, like, you have to be online during these hours. We do have a team meeting that we, you know, everybody is, you know, expected to attend, obviously, you know, if they can. So that's at 7 a.m. My t- No, every it's actually every, every other week? week now. So yeah, it, that's, I mean, we're, we do have also like a general meeting for everyone. That's where the whole company gets together. And that, you know, so we do have, you know, meetings that are required. But yeah, I think it's more... I mean, obviously, if we're setting up, like I I do a lot of meetings with like different partners that we're going to be doing content with. So my day tends to be fairly like standard business hours, specific time with some early morning hours thrown in there. But then every once in a while, I'm answering an email, you know, 10 at night, because that's when the, the team in Europe is just getting started for their day and they have a question. And so being able to like, you know, I mean, I get email on my phone and I check it, you know, like, and of course that brings up the whole thing of like, you know, balance. But I think to me, it's like, I would rather check an email and answer somebody back and it'll take me 10 minutes than like have them have their entire day where they're like stressed out because they can't move forward on a project. So I think, yeah, just being, having that flexibility, I think is really key, especially like if you're trying to to manage teams, like Polly and I both manage teams. And so it's like, we kind of, you know, we have people all over the world that we're working with. We have to be a little bit flexible. Yeah. And, and that's a good thing that, I mean, all my teammates, they do understand this as well. We don't have like, you must be, you know, there from this or that time, but it's like everyone understands the importance of, you know, being on this or that meeting. And because, we're still feel like we were startup and still a lot of things are going. We're starting different projects. So, I mean, just a lot of things are going uh, simultaneously. And if you're kind of, if you missed one meeting, it feels like you've, you know, you've been out of, you know, your work for like two weeks because you're not up to date anymore. And you're like, uh, so, so that's kind of, I guess that's where it all comes from. So kind of we just trust each other and we all understand just the importance of being, you know, here or there. So I think that that's, I mean, that's the foundation of this working style. I got a question actually from Melissa on content because I've seen a bunch of ads on Instagram that tell me that you can pay $39 a month and get all your content updated on a regular basis. And I was wondering if you could comment on content and automating content or how important it might be you actually create the content and how much work that takes. Yeah. So yeah, those ads, there's always like, everybody always wants to like automate stuff with AI. I don't know if you've seen any of the like funny, like Hallmark style stories that AI has written and they're just horrible. But like, so you've got like, I mean, there is a, t- a place, I guess, for for that. I I don't really know what it would be, but 
Yeah. So <laughs> I think, I mean, Cinder, our motto is uh, machine accuracy, human approach. And so like the content team is very much human approach. Like we have people that are researching and writing and, and creating content that our, you know, customers actually want to read. And we get that information of what they want to read by looking at, you know, what questions are they asking to support? We put out surveys sometimes to ask them, like, what kind of content do you want to hear from us? I've been doing customer interviews and talking to them. And so I think, you know, sure, you could automate your content and pay $39 a month or whatever and get some kind of AI. But is it going to really, I mean, if you're talking to everyone, you're talking to no one. That's like, you know, content rule number one. So you have to be very specific. Who are you talking to? What do they need from you? You know, what kind of, even like what tone of voice is going to reach your customer best? And you can only know that by interacting with them, you know, putting out content, testing it, rewriting it, you know, and having actual human beings. I mean, maybe 50 years from now, AI will be so smart, it can do all this. But I think that human approach, that like empathy that a human brings to a project that like these AI tools absolutely cannot is just, I don't think it'll be replaced. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, we we tried it. Well, we have been spinning articles for two decades now. Almost. For those of you who don't know what that is, you can Google spinning articles and see. You can turn one article into 10 magically with this thing, but uh, sometimes they don't make <laughs> sense and they don't always work. Polly, I want to ask a question with you too on in your area of expertise, customer success, you, this center is a SaaS company and SaaS companies have challenges today. There's a lot of noise in the market. There's churn. You're, this is an accounting software. So churn is probably lower if it works the way that it's advertised and is easy to set up. Probably the setup process is where you get breakage. But what does customer success mean now in SaaS? Because Customer success teams are expensive. Yeah, they are. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, I, I think it, it's, it really depends on the SaaS product because if the product is pretty, I mean, easy, I mean, it fulfills an comparatively uh, natively understandable task. You don't have to, you know, have like 20 people's, you know, like team to actually like help your customers to get a sense of how this works. If you're running quite a complex software, you might need some help from a human. Uh, so like if that's an accounting app like Cinder, and if it kind of, it, it can uh, help businesses from, you know, different perspectives, if that's, you know, just data synchronization to your existing books, or if it's starting your own books from scratch, or if it's migration of, you know, the whole history of your books from one like piece of software to another. So that definitely requires a lot of customer uh, interaction. And uh, as you like um, said that, Indeed, like the setting up a software is a challenge with, I mean, with Cinder as well. I mean, you can really like, like in 10 minutes, I guess you can just plug in all of your, I mean, if you, even if you have like eight different stores, so you can integrate all that in 10 minutes and like, okay, I'm done. But actually, you know, that, that's a, a bit longer process when you just make sure that everything, you know, all the data come into your books the way you need. And that's where, you know, the customer success comes in. I mean, our team comes in. So like in Cinder, we're having like onboarding, like process different for different, you know, cohorts of people. So like based on their needs. So that's kind of how it looks here. And I think it, it I mean, the, just the need of having a big or small uh, or non-existent like support or success team. It, I mean, it really depends on the piece of software that you provide to the market. 
Yeah, I agree with you. I want to talk about Cinder specifically so that listeners have a specific example. So when you go and onboard someone at Cinder, what does that look like in the sense someone signs? I go and sign up for, you have three programs I saw, I think, and it's based on transactions. I think under a thousand, if my memory is right, it's 1495 and sort of goes up from there. What does that process look like? Do you as soon as someone signs up, assign them a customer success agent, so to speak, or director or whatever, uh, account manager, and they make sure that they get onboarded correctly beyond a sequence of emails that you've set up in your email sender that looks generic, which I've gotten before. I'm just curious if you can lend some insight because it is a big issue in SaaS now. I had someone actually in one product spend 35 minutes onboarding me. And as a guy who did the financials at America Online, which ages me a little bit, but back in the day, that's expensive. And we actually used to run P&L assessments on each customer, make a prediction and actually ship them either overseas to a cheaper success agent or put them into a US call center agent because of how expensive it is. So that it, it can add up and it eats into your margin relatively quickly. But if you can get someone to stay in a SaaS product, one is that's really how you build the value of your company. And that's the only way you're going to grow your revenue. So uh, that's a long rant to say, how do you do it at Cinder? Yeah. So pretty much, yes. So once you like signed up and you like understand that, okay, Cinder probably works for me. So indeed, after you like subscribe and you pick a plan uh, that's suitable to you. So then uh, an onboarding, I mean, you have an option to schedule like a call right after, I mean, you subscribe and that's kind of an obligatory thing when you start to pull like historical data, because, well, we've heard a lot of stories of people just, you know, moving like two years of their data, you know, in one day to their book saying, okay, I'm done. So I've done my books for two years. That's perfect. But then, you know, we come in because we kind of do it very individually. So we have people who are like manually go and check people's accounts to make sure everything is good during the first months. Yeah. So that's kind of a quite a human approach process. So our motto is not just, you know, just words. So that's expensive, but that's how we make sure people really get the results they, uh, they expect because, you know, the, as we were discussing at the very beginning, like people want everything to be simple. And when you have a software that you can, you know, plug everything in in 10 minutes, it seems soft. I mean, it seems simple and you're like, okay, it works perfect. So, you know, nothing I can, I, I should do, like, you know, after that. I mean, the, the reality is that not every person goes in and actually checks how all of this data, you know, get imported to their books. So, and, and now we understand that we have to do it for them to just, you know, alert saying, okay, so things are not good here, you know, come and talk to us and we'll help you to get it right. So that's kind of how it works. And we do have people who are like, check an account of yours once you sign up and we have people who will talk to you even like two like and run like two screen shares in a row to make sure you're good and once you're good so then you're kind of more or less on on your own so you can come back to support we have like in-app chats so it's like really quick i mean you can solve the problem really quickly but it's like at the very beginning it's very manual for us but we're ready to do this because we see an outcome i mean people really understand so okay so now I know my books will look good. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. And I think it's important. And it's important for any listener who would be considering changing their accounting software to understand what that process is. And especially in accounting, having someone to be able to actually log into your account 
and make sure that it looks right and functions right is really important. I do want to add that, at least of what I've read about Cinder, and for listeners, I, I'm not an investor in them. I'm anything like that. But one of the things that is important to me, especially having a SaaS business, is to be have security compliance. And Cinder, from what I understand, has above and beyond I think I'm pretty sure you're SOC 2 compliant among and HIPAA compliant or will sign a, I think it's BAA or whatever the agreement is. If you have HIPAA compliant type data in there that you, you check the boxes and in those places, is that fair to say for the free promotion that I just did by learning everything? Yeah. I mean, the security is like a super huge question for us. And even working with QuickBooks, you have to go through yearly check and we're kind of going through all of that. So yeah, that's a lot of efforts go there. Definitely. Yeah. Important to know. Well, listen, I appreciate you ladies coming on and talking about Cinder. And I think it's a great thing. I'm I think that we're going to try it for one of our companies. We have an e-commerce brand and we're going to give it a shot. I think it's fairly priced and, you know, we'll see how that goes. With having that, I'd like each of you, you're, you're, you're in a growing SaaS company. You work remotely. What does your day look like? You can go first, Polly. Um, yeah. So I'll say, first of all, it's like checking your Slack. Like pretty much I do it like, all day long, but like if I see something that's not critical and it's not, it doesn't stop anyone's work. So I'll leave it, you know, till the time I start the day. So first of all, it's like managing Slack and email. So that kind of takes time and then kind of having some meetings and then have, I mean, I have several like hours to concentrate on the, on my, you know, own tasks and make sure I'm like, I'm having progress there. So let me be more specific. What time do you get up? Do you look at your Slack as soon as you get up? Do you take lunch at 12? Do you, what time do you go to bed? Do you walk your dog or do you exercise? So, I, I, I mean, you're in a remote team. You have different time zones. Well, I'm interested in what your day actually looks like. Actually, I, I'm pretty used to waking up at like 10 a.m. So it's not seven, not six. And I'm like super happy that I can do it this way. So, and yes, I, I check my Slack right after I wake up. So that's, that's the habit, I guess. <laughs> Sometimes that's kind of the last thing I see in front of my face when I'm getting to, you know, sleep. And then the first thing I see when I wake up. So sometimes it really is this way. But yeah, I mean, I'm struggling to get this good life and work balance. But now it's like uh, very much into the work side, but I like it now. I mean, I have a, a space for it in my life. So I really enjoy it now. Yeah. So it's like, I am waking up at 10 a.m. And then, yeah, just like having lunch, doing like the stuff, preparing like a meal. So all like all the home stuff goes first. And then like when it's like 2 p.m., I say, I think so. Yeah. That's the time when I start working. And as you said, yeah, I mean, you should be disciplined to work from home. Because, I mean, you cannot tell us, okay, so I just don't want to start, you know, today at two, I'll start at three or maybe whatever. So no, no, that's like a deadline. If we want to start earlier, I do that, but it's not, not later than, than 2 p.m. So it's kind of, that's it. And uh, I go to sleep like maybe 1, 2 a.m. So that's my schedule, let's say. Do you exercise every day? Uh, three times a week. That's not it. I find it, I find it very interesting. And this is going to probably save Melissa when she answers. 
I find it interesting that everybody deeply apologizes for not having work-life balance or that there's been this narrative in the world that I'm going to tell everybody, I'm going to, I'm going to totally break every rule. And I got news for people having done several startups and running regular companies whenever a startup becomes a regular company. I'm not really sure. Maybe that's five or six or seven years afterwards, whatever it is. There's no work-life balance. It's not, it's not 33, 33, 33. That's unrealistic. And I think it ruins people's expectations of what's life's work. Cinder is, I believe you raised, what have you raised? $3 million, I think you, or yeah, 3 million bucks is what I read. You're a startup. You've got pressure. You're in the SaaS business. You're a remote team that does doing remote, I think does take a little bit more effort because it's just less structured, like you said, Polly, and you've got to add that structure to yourself. Yeah. And by the way, from, from a person who's been doing it a long time, it's okay. What's not okay is that if you have 20% in your relationship and that 20%, you don't show up for that 20%. So that 20% really is watered down to be 5%. That is the issue. But if you can be in the moment of those things, if you want to exercise three days a week, as long as you're not checking your Slack, which I have a bad <laughs> feeling with you, Polly, that you probably are, but I say that lovingly because I may do that too, is that, but you focus on that thing. I ride a bike. You can't check your email. You can't do that stuff. And you go all in on that percentage. Then that's what's important. But this whole narrative, I don't know who the hell even made that up, ladies. I, I really don't. I'd love to talk to them who made up the 33 like work-life balancing, but it's unrealistic. And I think it makes all of us feel bad about ourselves when we shouldn't feel bad. When you do something that you love and that's really hard to do, I don't think that Usain Bolt had work-life balance training for four years to win the Olympics to be the fastest man in the world. I mean, it just doesn't happen. That's unrealistic. So anyway, that's a complete rant. And that's a slow pitch for you, Melissa, so that you don't have to apologize for any any percentages of your life. Uh, well, first of all, let me say I'm super jealous of Polly that she gets to wake up at 10 a.m. because I'm up at five <laughs> and I'm not a morning person by nature. So, but you know, that's I'm, I'm getting there. I will be at some point, hopefully. So yeah, I usually get up like five, sometimes six, a lot of times. So if I don't have meetings starting, you know, seven, eight in the morning, I will do a workout when I first get up. Otherwise, I try to do that when I'm done with work. I work out mostly from home. And then I did join a gym recently, just because I'm like, I literally am in my house all day, all night, like I need to go somewhere like as many days as I can. So I know the feeling. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so I, so I get up, you know, fairly early. I usually, I try really hard not to check Slack first, first thing, although I do glance at it. I'll be honest. Like it's on my phone, you know? So it's like I look at my emails, I look at my Slack. And then if something is like, you know, an emergency, then I will deal with that and then have my coffee and like kind of have like a, a moment of relaxation. But if nothing's an emergency, I always like to start my day with like reading and, and coffee and like just kind of like setting my intention for the day. I have a gratitude journal that I write in. So I, I like to have like a very peaceful morning. That's like it, whenever I can, just because I know I'm going to, you know, be dealing with a lot of different things, juggling stuff throughout the day. So I try to start with that. And then my day is usually, I mean, most days are, are pretty different, but I think what's consistent is that the earlier part of my day is usually meetings. And then the later part of my day is usually when I'm like executing on stuff. So I try to do like 
meetings and everything by be wrapped up with all those by like one o'clock. And then that's usually when I'll do a lunch break. And usually for me, like a lunch break will involve something creative that I'm doing. So I'll eat real quick and then I'll like work on a knitting project or like, you know, a creative writing project or something fun that kind of recharges me and gets me, you know, like feeling like I'm ready to settle back into work. And then I come back work for, you know, from two to however long I need to finish. Usually, you know, I would say, even though like work-life balance can be difficult. I mean, here, like usually by like five, six, I'm, I am wrapped up with my day and then, you know, whatever I, you know, sometimes a lot of times I don't have plans at night when I've gotten up at five in the morning by like six, I'm pretty wiped out. So I go to bed like 9.30, 10, which is so early. I, I would love to be up to like one or two in the morning because that's, I feel, when I am mostly creative. But yeah, there's weekends for that. So. <laughs> well, I appreciate you sharing that. The truth is, and I used to be, I don't know that there's morning people and, and evening people. I think you can switch. I think that getting up in the morning, if you do it consistently, you actually can be pretty clear headed in that way. So, and you can convert to go late, but I think the most important part is to stay consistent for your body. It's when you switch, you know, people say, Oh, getting up at 10 is late. Well, as long as you get up at 10 every day and you stay on that cycle and you still get seven or eight hours sleep, I think that's good. What would be three high percentage tips from each of you for business owners out there, listeners, it could be anything from taking care of yourself to doing your accounting right to anything you either of you ladies think is important. Melissa, why don't you okay. go first? Um, let's see. Number one, I think is finding what you love and like focusing on that and trying to outsource the other items in your business that maybe you're not good at or that you don't love if you can. I've always really found success in having a mentor. So I think if that's an option, you know, having a mentor, a coach, um, a consultant, I know those are three very different roles. Sometimes finding a mentor can be tough. So starting with a coach or a consultant and then building a mentorship relationship with somebody can be really beneficial. What would be a third one? I think, uh, let's see. I, I I don't know. I think just those two. <laughs> you can't do that. Gotta have okay. Get outside a little bit every day, which I'm not great about doing. But when you work from home, if you're just inside all day by the end, like, I feel like that's the nights I don't sleep well is like, I'm like, I never saw the sun today. I was in, you know, like, so, um, yeah, go outside. <laughs> that's super important. You actually should get at least 10 minutes of sunlight in the morning when you, when you wake up. And I can totally relate to you if my wife goes on a trip or something like that. I could literally stay at home. And never get in a car. And the only people I see are online for easily two weeks because I just order all my food. I mean, it's all delivered. So getting outside, I think, is is key. How about you, Polly? What three HPTs do you have for listeners? I guess the first one is like having a good team behind you. I mean, surely if you're just starting, you may, you may be alone. But at some point, you will have to have people you can rely on. So, I mean, that, that was my like personal experience and my personal struggle because sometimes when you start hire and fire people, then you, you know, sometimes you kind of like, well, well, th this person is, you know, everything's not that bad. Maybe they can be there, you know, but then you start at some point doing everything yourself or checking everything after everyone. So that's kind of, a good thing to just have a team you can rely on. So, and that's what we have here in Cinder. And I'm really, really happy that it's this way here. And I'm like, uh, yeah, continue to kind of building this kind of team here. 
So that's number one. I guess number two, don't think a software cannot be this kind of a reliable employee. Maybe this kind of employee will require a bit more uh, attention from your side at the beginning. But once you get used to a piece of software, I mean, it can be really a huge, of a huge help and really uh, like save a lot of time. So I think, I mean, underestimate automation nowadays. Well, you, you just can't do this anymore. So yeah, go find an app that will help you in your everyday life. I mean, I'm not saying it's just for work, just for yourself. If you are not really good at managing yourself and you cannot go to sleep at time and you, you know, get up, I mean, you, you get just up very early and you cannot make yourself go to bed early as well. So find an app that will remind you about that maybe three times unless you, yeah, go and do this. And I guess number three, do small things quickly. Sometimes small things can be like very like, oh yeah, that, that's a small thing. I'll do it later. And then you kind of have bunch of this kind of stuff that just, you know, starts to become a, a huge tail behind you. So yeah, but it's really quick to do a small thing and then you can focus on something that that's, that's really big and important. I think you're exactly right. Then you have like 5,000 like me, small things that add up that take three days to accomplish. So don't, don't, don't knock out some small things to build some momentum and then hit a, hit a big thing. I totally Agree with that. Ladies, thanks a lot for taking time out of your day to join us. Where can listeners find Cinder? That's our website. I mean, the first place is cinder.com, S-Y-N-D-E-R. So yeah, that's that. it should be spelled sometimes. I think like, yeah, we should spell it all the time. <laughs> so yeah, that's our website, first of all. Cool. Well, we'll put that in the show notes for everybody. Check out Cinder, new accounting software for e-commerce and SaaS founders, and really anybody who wants to make their life a little simpler. Thanks a lot for being on the show today. I appreciate both of you. Thank you so much. It was great to be with you. Thanks. Our pleasure too. Bye, everyone. Thanks for being generous with your time and joining us for this episode of The Edge. Before you go, a quick question. Are you the type of person who wants to get 100% out of your time, talent, and ideas? If so, you'll love our monthly Edge newsletter. It's a monthly playbook about the inner game of building a successful business. In each newsletter, we pull back the curtain on our business and show you exactly what's happening. The real numbers, real conversion rates, lessons learned from failed and successful strategies, and how we're investing the money we make from our business to outperform the general stock market. We lay out what we're doing to get 75% conversion rates on our product pages, how we're optimizing our Facebook, Instagram, and other paid ads to get our leads under $3.87, the results from our email A-B tests, results from strategies I test to get more done in less time that allows me to ride my bike 100 plus miles a week, work out, spend time with Yvette, and still successfully run our business. How I'm investing the money we make from our business that has led our retirement account to average 20% over the last 10 years. The exact stocks, ETFs, cryptocurrencies, and other investments we're buying each and every month, and tons of other actionable information. Imagine the time and money you'll save by having this holy grail of business intelligence. You can take all of it, apply it to your life as an entrepreneur to avoid costly mistakes and be happier, healthier, and richer. 
As a fellow entrepreneur who's aiming for nothing short of success, you owe it to yourself to subscribe. Check out the special offer with bonuses for you as a listener at edgenewsletter.com. Again, that's E-D-G-E newsletter.com.